The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. I want to welcome all of you again in the name of Jesus Christ this morning, and just thank you for being here with us. Uh, If you are a visitor, I specifically want to reach out and say thank you so much for uh, coming to join us and spend some time in worship with us this morning. We're we're honored by your presence. Uh, I think we have some friends from Capitol Hill with us this morning. Woo! So glad to have you. And uh, we got our college kids. Shout out to you all. I hope you guys are enjoying. (laughs) There you go. Lots of whoops all around this morning. Um, So we are picking up, uh, if you are visiting or new, we're picking up in the sixth installment of our sermon series, You Are What You Love, this morning. And so we've been talking about human beings and how we are shaped by worship and how that shapes us through our loves and wants and desires. And uh, so just a brief little recap. Uh, We started off with the intro sermon from Ben talking about uh, the foundations of us, not as thinkers, but as lovers primarily. And then we've walked through four different Christian worship practices. We've talked about the church year uh, or the church calendar. We've talked about hospitality and about singing. And then finally about confession a couple weeks ago, confession of sin and worship. And so as I think of these different practices... I think of them in kind of gradations of how often we do them. Uh, You know, some of them, singing, preaching, praying, these kind of practices are very concrete. We do these every week. We have a very distinct image in our our mind of them. But others, um, for instance, the church year or uh, confession of sin and worship, um, those we practice a little more infrequently. um, And maybe we don't have the clearest picture of those. And this morning, uh, we are looking at a worship practice that is far and away the one that we practice the least. We do, however, practice it, though. Uh, And that that worship practice is the creed. And specifically this morning, we're going to be talking and focusing in on uh, one of the oldest, clearest, um, simplest confessions of Christian faith, professions of faith, uh, known as the Apostles' Creed. And so we're going to be doing that not just in isolation, um, but of course in the context of you are what you love and asking how that creed uh, can shape us from from the heart and gut level toward and and direct our desires toward God's kingdom. And so we're going to do that by beginning in Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you want to turn over in your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Timothy 3 verses 14 through 16 this morning. Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these instructions to you in case I'm delayed to let you know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, because it is the church of the living God, the support and bulwark of the truth. And we all agree, our religion contains amazing revelation. He was revealed in the flesh vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray together, church. 
Lord, we come before you. And Father, we praise your name. Jesus, we invoke your name this morning. In spirit, we ask for your presence. We praise you as the triune God who has given us amazing revelation in your word, Jesus Christ. God, I ask for the gift of preaching this morning and for your spirit to be infused in every word spoken, every word that is heard, and God, I pray, acted upon. We worship you, we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all these things. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In preparing my sermon this past week, I wanted to take a look at how our tradition, the Church of Christ, has related itself to the creeds, and specifically uh, the Apostles' Creed. And so I did a little bit of reading, of course, but I also consulted a couple of my fellow staff members. And so I, I asked them how they had understand uh, the creeds growing up in our church tradition, um, and Leah Redling uh, answered me point blank, they're evil and from the devil. <laughs> Mitt uh, Vikraman, our uh, youth intern, was a little bit more moderate in his response, <laughs> but he did say, you know, that's what the Catholics do, and we never do what the Catholics do. And now, I do want to say off the top, if you are feeling a little bit of hesitation or a little bit of trepidation in relation to the creeds, I think I and others can empathize with you. Um, that, that if your experience of the creeds uh, is just as this kind of you know, silly arguments over theological jargon or uh, something that's divisive or somehow against the Bible or, or that these, these have been uh, things that have just been for mindless repetition, then I can understand how, how that perception and experience uh, would cause hesitation. But I want to contend this morning that you might actually like the creeds more than you think you do. Uh, I want to contend that, you know, in the context of you are what you love, of talking about our loves and how worship shapes them, and I want to talk about how the creed shapes them. But first, I think we need to take a moment to address a few of these kind of underlying issues that we might have in relation to the historic creeds of the church, and specifically the Apostles' Creed. So I want to do that in three, three different quick points here this morning. And the first one of those is this. The first one is that creeds are unavoidable. The uh, Christian writer Michael Byrd tells this story 
uh, about preaching to a very small, kind of intimate, friendly gathering of Christians in the free church tradition. And he tells the story about looking at their bulletin every week and uh, kind of smiling at it occasionally because he would see in there a statement every week that said, no creed but Christ, no book but the Bible. No creed but Christ, no book but the Bible. And, you know, at first blush, we can kind of be like, yeah, that, that sounds good. I could get on board with that. But what Michael Bird realized as he was looking at this was that this, this group of Christians had taken this motto of theirs and essentially made it into a creed. No creed but Christ, no book but the Bible. The, the irony is that these words aren't in the Bible. Uh, that this had become this kind of extra-biblical, anti-creedal creed for this church. And so the, the truth of the matter is that we all inherently have some kind of creed. You know, be it secular or, or sacred or something based on faith, we all inherently adopt these kind of creeds. You know, the, the Latin word credo is where we get the English word creed, and credo simply means I believe. Uh, so the, the very first word in the Apostles' Creed is credo, I believe in God the Father. And so we all have our creeds, and I would even say this morning that the springs... We have our creeds. Let me give just, just two examples. The first one is baptism. Uh, we've had some fantastic moments over the last couple of years of some baptisms in our youth group especially and um, beyond. And so um, when we baptize somebody, if I were going to baptize John, I, I would say, John, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And John would say, I believe. I do. Yes. And then I would say, well, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and so forth. That is a creed. I believe in Jesus Christ. That, that is this moment, and that's actually how the creeds developed in the church as something to be professed, confessed, as, as a faith before baptism. And so this is something that we practice regularly, and this is a kind of creed that we have. We wouldn't use that language about it, but... This is our credo, our I believe statement. And the other one we have, uh, if you go onto our website, thesprings.cc, uh, you'll find under the Who Are We tab a, a link to a document called our Statement of Beliefs. And every phrase in that document uh, begins with the words, We believe. We believe X. We believe Y. We believe Z. And it goes on and on and on. And, and not just do we have this creed, essentially, even though, again, that's not the language we would use about it. But we even proclaimed this creed as an act of worship uh, a couple years ago. We had all of our elders go through and proclaim their beliefs in this document as an act of worship. And so those are just two quick examples of even the springs, even this church has its own creeds. And, and so we all inherently adopt creeds, especially based upon Scripture. And so that brings me to the second point. Second reason that you might possibly like creeds a little bit more than you think, and that is that creeds are biblical. Now, 
I don't simply mean that creeds take some of their language from Scripture, which is important and true, but I actually also mean that Scripture takes some of its language from creeds. What do I mean by that? So as you open up your Bible, as you go through the Old and the New Testaments, you will begin to find somewhat formal statements and confessions of faith. As you look in the Old Testament, one of the biggest and most important ones in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. This is called the Shema. And this is a Judeo-Christian confession of faith in the one God, Yahweh. And this is so important to God's people that it's carried over into the New Testament. And Jesus professes this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. That is a creed. It's a statement of belief. And not only that, but as we begin to read into the New Testament further we begin to find the church formulating, the early church, developing these similar statements, similar formulas for thinking about God in Christ and what is fundamental to the Christian faith. For instance, our passage this morning. If you want to turn back to 1 Timothy 3, we'll just be in verse 16 this time. Paul says, And we all agree our religion contains amazing revelation. He was revealed in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And so in these six lines, you'll notice that we have this, this kind of preformed tradition uh, that, that these six lines show all the signs of being an early Christian creed or an early Christian hymn, or a, a sung creed, essentially. Um, that, that in these lines, we've got parallelism, we've got assonance between the, the words, and we've got a rhythm to a kind of a cadence to how it lays out. And so what we find is that 1 Timothy 3.16 is kind of this example, one example, of an early formula of Christian profession of faith. And the truth is, we could have used many different texts this morning. We could have used Ephesians 4 that we preached from back in the spring, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Uh, we could have used Alden's text from last week, Philippians 2, the Philippian hymn, as it's sometimes called. But there are many examples in Scripture, not just of Scripture being the source of the creeds, but creeds, early Christian formulations, being the source of Scripture. And so this brings us to our, our third and final reason here this morning, that you might possibly like creeds more than you think. And that is that creeds are valuable. Uh, let's read 1 Timothy 3.16 one more time. He was revealed in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among Gentiles, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The letter of 1 Timothy and actually 2 Timothy and Titus, uh, these are typically referred to as the pastoral epistles. 
So letters dealing with these pastoral situations in early Christian churches. And one of the main concerns of the pastoral epistles is truth. That apparently there were these difficulties with early false teachers uh, kind of spreading this negative effect on these churches. And so Paul is writing to emphasize the importance of right conduct. And he's supporting that right conduct, as he always does, with right belief. That, that Paul, as we saw in Ephesians, his ethical instructions are always supported and grounded in theology. And so Paul begins to combat it, and he does this by, by not writing original words, but by quoting an early Christian formulation. And so we see in, in lines 1 and 2 of verse 16, we see both the incarnation and the resurrection. Jesus revealed in the flesh and vindicated by the Spirit. And we see in, in lines 3 and 4, he's, he's seen by angels and he's proclaimed among Gentiles. So he's seen by those closest to him in heaven and he's proclaimed to those furthest from him on earth. And we see in, in lines 5 and 6 that he's believed on in the world. And finally, that he's exalted and ruling in the cosmos. These six lines set down the basic fundamental truths, truths that we can all cluster around about what God has done in Christ and in the world. It doesn't say everything, but it says the basics. And so in the context of you are what you love, I think this is valuable. I think that these preformed traditions in Scripture and even the traditions and creeds constructed by the Spirit in the church are valuable to us as human beings who are shaped and directed by our loves. And so I just want to close this morning with two ways that the creeds shape and direct us, not simply in isolation, but in worship. And so the first of those is this, the creed as story. So my question is, have you ever been uh, watching a show with your friend, and it's their favorite television show, and you've somehow jumped in on this moment, and you're completely lost and totally uninvested? That they're, they're watching their favorite show, they're hanging on every word, and so a character will say something and their mouth is agape, uh, someone will hand someone a piece of paper and they gasp, and you're just sitting over here wondering, why am I supposed to care about this? What, what is happening? Who's talking to who? Why does this matter? What am I supposed to want for these people? And I think the main difference here between your friend and watching their favorite show and you not knowing what to care about or who to invest in is that you don't know the story. You don't know any kind of context for what's happening in this show. So you don't know who to care about. You don't know what to invest in because you don't know the basic structure of what's happened in the show, what's happening, maybe a feel for where things are going because when you jump in mid-series, you don't know any of the plot points, you don't know any of the emotions that are really undergirding everything that's happening in this show. In order to care about the right things, you've got to know the story. 
And therein lies the beauty of the creed. The creed distills for us the fundamental basics of the gospel story. The creed reminds us of the important plot points, the twists and the turns. The creed reminds us of these events in the life of God and his people that give us context for what we should want, desire, and love. The creed tells the story. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. The creed reads like this treatment for a divine screenplay. The structure of these past and present events help orient our desires toward the future. Or we could put it like this. We might say that not only does the creed talk about you are what you love, but you are the story you love. A really great story sticks with you. It occupies your every waking moment. You care about the characters. You have hopes and dreams for their future. And you you may even start to see some of yourself in them. You are the story you love. And the creed reminds us of the story above all stories. The creed reminds us. There's a lot of stories vying for our attention from outside. There's a lot of stories that we could grasp onto and ride. But the creed reminds us of the one that defines them all, the story of the gospel. It's the cliff notes. It's the basic structure, the basic outline. And the thing is, the more that we soak that story into our bloodstream through worship, the more we become enfolded into that gospel story. It shapes us because you're not just what you love, you are the story you love. And the second and final reason for the way that the creed shapes us in worship is as pledge. Uh, Ben told a poignant story a couple of sermons ago about Randy Harris, a professor speaking to students at OC in chapel and uh, talking about the Pledge of Allegiance. And as Ben told this story, Randy said, you know, why would you pledge allegiance to something that you know is not going to be here in 500 years? You know, why would you pledge allegiance to something transitory, something impermanent that cannot last? Why would you pledge allegiance to the city of man, in other words? Because the creed reminds us that when we say or sing or recite our profession of faith, that we pledge allegiance to an eternal city, the city of God. That's what the creed soaks into our bones, that not only you are what you love, not only you are the story you love, but you are the city you love. The creed reminds us that you are the city you love. 
I wish I had time for a Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant illustration right now. Sadly, I do not. But if the creed is our baptismal pledge, then we have become citizens of a baptismal city. We belong not just to the city of humans, but we belong to the city of God. And so when we confess this creed again and again, when we confess Jesus as Lord, God as Father, and the Spirit, we are saying we belong to another city. That our allegiance is to the King of Kings. And so if the, if the creed tells the Christian story, it also invites us into it. That's what we're reminded of every time that we profess our belief in the triune God. We are re-pledging our allegiance to the city of God. I began this sermon by reciting the Apostles' Creed. And I want to end by doing that with you all as well. And some of you are still thinking, well, we've never done that before. But we actually have. And we did it this morning in a song. Uh, we've been singing for a couple of years now a song called This I Believe at this church. And the parenthetical title of that song, as some songs have, is The Creed. Uh, these two songwriters from Hillsong set out to take the Apostles' Creed and to set it beautifully and truthfully to music. And that's what we have in this song this morning. That this song reminds us of the basic fundamentals of the gospel story. Of the incarnation and the exaltation. Of the cross and the resurrection. And that the creed not only tells the story but invites us into it. Invites us to pledge our allegiance not to a country, a man, or a flag, but to a king and a kingdom. Jesus Christ. That's what we do when we say the creed. That's what we do when we sing the creed as one body. And so if you believe this morning, I want to invite you to let this be your renewal of your citizenship vows. And even amidst your doubts, that this would be re-pledging your allegiance to the story of the gospel and your intent to live into it. And if you don't yet believe this morning, I want to invite you to, to pledge your allegiance to something that lasts. To something permanent. Something beautiful. Not the city of humans, not the city of man, but the city of God. Church, let's stand and proclaim that faith and profess it together.